Hello and welcome to Chilennial Horrors, the horror podcast where we're kind of regretting doing all the Splat Pack movies back to back because we're really kind of sick of torture porn by now. Uh, for this episode, we're looking at the outstanding Splat Pack movies and the outstanding Splat Pack directors. Um, these are the really nasty ones that we've left till last because we didn't really want to rewatch them. So today we've got Switchblade Romance, Wolf Creek and the other various assorted works of Alexander Aja and Greg McLean. So, Jonathan, how are you feeling? <laughs> Pretty good, yeah. I, th- I've, I've, I sneakily spaced some of these out. Oh, that's probably a good idea. <laughs> yeah, I anticipate not wanting to watch Hills of Eyes and Wolf Creek back to back. So yeah, I did, I did Hills of Eyes a little while ago and Wolf Creek did the other weekend. I did everything back to back. But yeah, excited <laughs> to, to say goodbye to the spot. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so first up. Well, actually, I guess we almost have to have a conversation before we start this. What are we calling this film? <laughs> The uh, Switchblade Rome. I can't even say the French title, so I'm voting not that one. Attention. Oh, very good. Yeah, very impressive. Um, I think, yeah, high tension, just because I feel that's probably what even a lot of the UK horror fans call it now, because that's sort of, it's it's the French title, it's the US title, it's only in the UK that it was called Switchblade Romance. Oh, I didn't know that. Um, I love that, watching it on my DVD though, I don't know if you had the same, but... Autention pops up as a title card, and then the subtitle says Switchblade Romance, like a translation. It's like, nope. <laughs> no, I, yeah, I've, I think I've always said Switchblade, Switchblade Romance because that's what I saw it as in the cinema, but um, I can go for high tension. I'll just have to remind myself. If I say Switchblade Romance, you know what I mean. Oh, same. I inevitably will say Switchblade Romance quite a bit. Uh, I don't really don't know why they decided to call it that. But on the other hand, I do remember seeing that there was a film called Switchblade Romance that was like supposed to be a really great horror film and kind of, ooh, that's a cool title. So they did get it. It is a cool title. Yeah. <laughs> it's much cooler than High Tension, which is nothing. Yeah. <laughs> nothing at all. <laughs> okay. Um, oh, I just don't want to talk about this film. <laughs> We should start by saying that <laughs> it's ourselves. really impossible to talk about high tension switchblade romance without spoilers because any kind of discussion about how effective it is or whether it's a good film, whether it holds up, means that we have to talk about the really, really stupid twist. So if you haven't seen high tension switchblade romance and you don't want it spoiled, probably go away and watch it first and then come back because we can't even no. start to talk about it without the stupid twist. I don't, yeah, you can't, you can't at all. Um, well, it's about two friends that go to, it's Cecile de France's Marie and Mai Wen as Alexia, uh, go to Alexia's house in the countryside, and they're good friends, although it definitely seems like Marie wants to be more than friends with Alexia. That's kind of heavily implied very early on, and not and not subtly implied for from about 30 seconds in. Go to Alexia's family's farmhouse in the middle of nowhere, big kind of, yeah, lots of fields, lots of crops. And one creepy guy seems to be lurking around in a van doing stuff with body parts. Um, <laughs> and then, yeah, in the middle of the night, this bloke arrives at Alexia's house and attacks the family. Uh, and it's kind of up to Marie to get Alexia back, basically, from this from the clutches of this madman. And that's a setup. And then there's a really stupid twist. And the twist, my first experience of watching this was, I think I enjoyed it the first time. I think... I enjoyed how nuts it was, how kind of in-your-face gory it was, and it seemed pretty fun. Like, it's, it's very chaotic. And then the ending happened, and I thought, I don't remember exactly what I think of it, but I don't think I judged it too harshly. I was like, oh, all right then. And then 
I think I watched it again quite quickly after the first watch and was like, oh no, that ending is really bad and ruins the rest of the film because it doesn't make any logical sense. But yeah, what was your first experience of watching so, I saw it at the cinema. Yeah, 2003, I would have been at university. I saw it at the cinema and I just have this really vivid memory of pulling my hoodie up mostly over my face, just being like almost like instinctively just trying to shut this film out like I just didn't want it I didn't enjoy it it felt really mean to me or the gore feels really nasty and and it is really um I mean it's not really torture I suppose but it's just horrible like I just remember the bit where the mum's getting like is the mother squished with the cow I don't know I just oh uh. the dad gets the yeah the uh, chest of drawers death which I'm still kind of... It's one of those ones where, like, this makes no sense. But I think that's why, like, it's its more like, oh, you went for that, <laughs> rather than that looks like something that could actually happen to someone. It didn't feel too bad. The death in front of the cupboard always felt nastier to me. Like, the dad death just seems ridiculous, even though it is quite protracted and unpleasant. The mum death feels... Like, it's a bit shorter, but it's nasty. Oh, I just remember just being really... Just not enjoying it. Um, which is weird because it's like I don't know where the line is between this is a horror film that's really gory and I'm enjoying it and this is a horror film that's really gory and I'm not enjoying it but um, yeah this was in the not enjoying it camp and then the twist which just made me furious just furious because it doesn't make any sense doesn't make any sense no the twist is that Marie is the killer and has been doing it all along and even though it makes no sense it's just pre- like it's presented as this clever twist where you see like some security camera footage and I think you see some of it from uh, Alexia's perspective, maybe. But generally it's just presented as, oh, it's less fun than I remembered it. I think when I watched it as a teenager, I was like, oh, like it's the one where the guy gets his head taken off by the chest of drawers and there's that <laughs> bit in the service station where a guy gets axed and... But then watching again, it's like, oh, it does feel quite... There's not really a lot to it apart from the twist. There's not... Once it gets... It takes a little while to get going, and then it's over pretty quickly once it starts kind of properly. It's one of those twists that rather than kind of illuminating things, it just makes it nonsense. So that when you watch it again, um, which I hadn't done since I saw it in the cinema because I disliked it so much. But like, yeah, when you watch it again, you're just like, oh, there's, there's... there is no... I mean, it's not high tension. There's no tension because yeah, yeah, exactly. most yeah. of the tension in, like, the first part of the film is is because you're you're watching Marie, like, hiding and trying not to be caught by this killer. But then if she is the killer, then it's like... So there's no danger here. There's no threat here. And also this is physically impossible because how is she, like, in the back of... The, like, it just doesn't... She can't... <laughs> she's in two places at once. Yeah. Hiding from herself uh it's just it just it just becomes a mess and like i see i f- remember this film was like fairly well received at the time it was, i feel it like was people well thought it was yeah. clever <laughs> it's like no it's just french <laughs> it's not actually good yeah, i remember it coming out and getting very good reviews and the dvds kind mm. of littered with like four star reviews going like oh thrilling like mind bending like oh my god you buckle up cuz you're going to get you know face melted I think my DVD's got two quotes from Harry Knowles of Ain't Cool News, which is probably, like, yeah, not great. That's the giveaway. That's the giveaway, yeah. <laughs> it's one of the... I think I'll say this quite a bit about the Alexandra stuff we're looking at. I think, like, it's interesting in the context of 
where he goes and like you can see that he loves I hadn't seen really seen much Brian De Palma before I watched this the first time I could seen uh, maybe Dressed to Kill and like some of the obvious ones but I hadn't seen some of the earlier ones and it does feel like he really loves Brian De Palma and that's kind of where the twist comes mm. from and also you know Brian De Palma loves uh, loves women loving women yeah so I just feel like there's a bit of that going in and it feels you know everyone kind of treats this like his debut even though it's not he did make another film which is currently unavailable in the UK and it feels like you know throwing everything at the wall to make a big impression Mm. but yeah it hasn't aged well for me very much at all apart from like I was like oh the soundtrack's good and it's like oh it's just the start of that Muse song over and over again (laughs) that's the bit I remember like that's where I was inside my hoodie just (laughs) hearing Muse and being like I don't want this Um, no thank you (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no thank you I would like to block all of this out um, yeah like I just I hated it at the time and <laughs> I've not warmed to it or softened to it at all I'm just just still just like this is just just a piece of shit I just hate it <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm having no nuance today it's too hot I just fucking hate this film <laughs> and it is hard to defend as well like I think maybe it'd be easier to defend if it was his debut and I thought yeah maybe I thought like I still enjoy some of it and you know like the audacity of some of it feels kind of fun but <laughs> like as you said like knowing what the twist is completely robs it of any tension yeah you're just watching it and going well hang on nothing is actually happening here none of this can be happening yeah yeah exactly and uh, you don't like Marie anyway really like, dick, <laughs> like from yes. the start. she is a dick <laughs> she becomes worse it's just yeah it's just something really really repulsive about this film <laughs> i think that's the only word i have for it um i wish i had anything cleverer to say but i just think it just somehow got a pass for being french and like when when did fight club come out that must have been what late 99 like yeah so like it's not even like it was a well not even like it was a new twist <laughs> it was like yeah, we've done this i guess the must like the wave of this kind of type of horror movie was definitely starting and like this came out in 2003 in france i guess and probably a little later over here but there was definitely buzz around it i remember people were excited and yeah got a cinema release which is pretty for a french horror movie like that seems pretty rare yeah that's true um yeah i mean i wonder maybe if the excitement at the time was just the backlash to all that really toothless stuff like hide and seek and all that shit that was coming out at that sort of time. We've definitely picked on hide and seek before. I think. <laughs> yeah, I know because it's awful. It that's why. Yeah. <laughs> that that actually doesn't that have the same twist as well. Pretty much. Of... Yeah. Robert De Niro <laughs> is his own daughter or something, right? Or... Oh, he was he was the the bad thing basically. Oh no, he's the he's the killer, but he's yeah, he's the dad. It was it. Yeah. Uh, there, it just seems like there was just a big chunk of time where every film was either someone is someone else yeah. or they're all dead all along yes at some point there's going to be a moment where your main character does like a bit of a face turn and he's either turning evil or he's actually dead yeah <laughs> yeah god oh i just i know like we have a lot of affection for a lot of films from this time but not any of these ones (laughs) (laughs) nothing with that twist (laughs) i think i even started like writing a really angry screenplay for something at the time about um a character who was convinced that her best friend wasn't real (laughs) even though they (laughs) like in response (laughs) i mean yeah 
it was shit and I never finished it but it was just like a rage response to all these stories of people not really existing just like fuck off <sighs> yeah high tension <laughs> put that one in the bin uh, and then we get to The Hills Have Eyes, Hills have eyes yeah. which is uh, 2006 um, which is a remake obviously of the Wes Craven original and it is plot wise um again like they're probably all very simple plots to summarize because this is literally like a family are driving somewhere and they get misdirected and end up uh being preyed upon by cannibals yeah as you do that's what happens when you go anywhere in a car in america never break down (laughs) never break down (laughs) just never go anywhere just certainly never take any shortcuts yeah it's always like why would we take a plane when we can drive across America? Uh, and that's always a bad idea. Never drive across America. Always get a plane. Unless it's fun destination. Um, I actually have never seen The Hills Have Eyes 2006 before ah. this podcast. So I have nothing to compare it to. But I think at the time I was just like, fuck that guy. Uh, I don't need to see any of his films. And also this, this isn't a kind of horror that particularly uh, appeals to me anyway. So... At least I got to have a fresh experience. That's the best thing I can say for this. <laughs> uh, I saw it when it came out, and uh, I think I did like it then. I thought, you know, in in that liking it way where it's just really horrible and it's very tense, and yeah, it's pretty scary. I think my memory of it was, I think, pretty similar to Hostel in a way, where I thought it was a good film, but I've never owned The Hills Have Eyes in that like, I didn't really want to watch it again like I gave the years I thought oh maybe I should give Hells of Ice another look I remember that being pretty good and just didn't and watching it again basically the same opinion I think I think it does what it sets out to do well I think it's upsetting and violent and well acted well directed I, I think you know it's not it's just it is it is that kind of, it's that movie like it's yeah. It's not doing anything particularly interesting with it. It's just doing the thing that it sets out to do, which is to make you really uncomfortable and, yeah, show you some pretty horrible shit. <laughs> I guess my question is why? I mean, I suppose that it, it was just um, that there were so many remakes being made, so I suppose everything was up for grabs. I just don't understand um, what the point of this movie was supposed to be because... at one point it sort of seemed like it had an idea um, which was that uh, the sort of mutated cannibal nasty people were the result of of, um, military nuclear testing and how you know they'd just been sort of abused and neglected by that system that the military was testing all these weapons and they just left them to suffer but then our hero kills a load of them with an American flag Mm. and I was like oh uh, I don't know what you're trying to tell me. <laughs> is is he the hero? Is he not the hero? Is America good or bad? I don't know. I don't know, Alexander Asia. There's definitely like symbolism in it. Yes, but there's but there's symbolism. But what does it? Mean? I mean, it doesn't. Yeah, I think that's less important than there being symbolism, like a capitalist. <laughs> we have it's some like, this symbols. Is, you know, this is what America's like, and this is what America does, and. It's like, oh, we've got the straw dogs type hero with Aaron Stanford as the hates guns, like thinks that Big Bob, played by Ted Levine, who's like the ex-cop patriarch, is a bit silly. And then he has to man up to protect um, 
the, the few yeah. surviving members of the family. And and just murder these people who have been suffering their whole lives. Um, yeah. I feel like it would have been... like I don't think that the movie wants me to feel like he's the baddie for that. No, definitely not. But I sort of do feel that. <laughs> and like... Yeah, the fact that the message is like, hey, fucking vegetarian liberals, man up and stab some guys. Stab some poor people if you can manage it. It was like, I'm not sure I'm on board. But also, you know, yeah, he's he's not American. So I don't it, it's a weird thing where it's sort of I don't know, is this criticism? Is it is it hero worship? Is it just complete garbled <laughs> mumblings of an idiot i think that's probably where i'd go i think it's in that like i feel like it's in that place where it wants you to know that it's had a couple of ideas and like presents them in a way like isn't this interesting um <laughs> but if you asked it a follow-up people are like well i don't know i th- it, it it is the equivalent of sort of anti-vaxxers on Facebook who just scream, <laughs> do your research at you. Like, they don't have a response. So they're just like, ah, do your research. I don't have to answer this. That's that's what this film is like. <laughs> I hope that Alexander Aja never listens to this podcast. Because <laughs> oh, okay. I feel like I'm going in pretty hard. But at the same time, I have paid to watch all of these films, some of them now multiple times. So, yeah, you know, he got my money. He can He can take it. <laughs> I think I don't know. I, I find it. I do find it effective in like I, I think it is scary in a kind of visceral way where you know something horrible is going to happen and it does and it is horrible and there's bits in it that I'd kind of remembered. Like I remembered like Ted Levine and he's like, I love Ted Levine so much and he's so perfectly cast as like, yeah Big Bob um, <laughs> and obviously they the baddies take him out straight away and he gets it particularly badly set on fire and his eyeball pops um it's just i think there's a point where it goes from being like really like oh shit this is quite scary and like tense to i think it maybe is when the symbolism starts like because it goes it, it's pretty much two hours isn't it it goes on yeah really long. it's really long so yeah mm. it, then it reaches that point where it's an endurance test rather than a thing yeah and i don't know because i i, I this is, I think, one of a couple of Wes Craven produced remakes where he was quite involved in like finding the people. Like he chose Alexander Aja and Gregory Levasseur, the co-writer from from High Tension, because he really liked them. And then he did the same thing for Last House on the Left remake. And I don't really like either of the original films of those. And I think the remakes are kind of do it better. And like they're like both pretty nasty films, um, the remakes. But I feel like they're better made and. I don't like the sort of comediness of either of the two originals. I think otherwise the original probably has less comedy than Last House on the Left does, but I find them both pretty goofy but really mean, and I don't like that combo. Like, if it's going to be mean, I'd rather it was just kind of, we're not expecting, we're not winking at you, this is just, like, nasty. And I think Hills of Ice does that quite successfully. Um, Again, I don't want to watch it again for another, like, 20 years. I'm I'm not going to watch it again ever, but I think... Um, the phrase endurance test is really really like bang on like I don't know whether it was just because well it's because I watched it at home by myself and uh, like I watched all of these things back to back but I just felt like I was being bludgeoned with this film and not even in like 
not even in a way where it was I could be complimentary about it because I was just so bored by the like middle point of this film. It's just like yeah, I just the setup's don't care. so good. Like I think you know caravan breaking down like the, 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 the whole dogs thing i think works really like well mm. like to spooky like so one's gone and one's still there and it's sort of like and the people who get picked off aren't necessarily the people that you expect i think apart from ted levine obviously can't have ted levine like running around for the second half of a movie like this but yeah then the second half is just as soon as they go looking for the cannibals and then it's all kind of you know almost like house of waxy where there's like the mannequins and like <laughs> And yes. that's what I think you must, you must, I got a WhatsApp from you, going like, they just stabbed someone with an American flag. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's about 11 in the morning, I think, as well, because I was like, I'm going to get through these today. So maybe that was, maybe it was partly that I didn't, um, it wasn't fair to it and I didn't watch it in ideal circumstances, but I was just lying on my sofa like, when will it end? <laughs> There's not, like, I don't think it, like, holds up in a particularly special way. I don't think it needs to be remembered more than, like, a film that does the job, like, for me personally. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it, it it does a job, um, but it's not a job that I require. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, absolutely. And then, yeah, it's like it was it was really successful, which I think surprised me a bit. I remember the posters being pretty horrid. Mm. Mm. And there was a sequel which was really, really bad. Uh, I think Wes Craven actually co-wrote with his son. Yeah, the sequel's pretty naff. It's like a bunch of soldiers go looking like on an exercise and then um, run into the surviving cannibals. I just, for me, like I think all these films and all the wrong turn films um, all just sort of merge into one mess of like I just don't care. Yeah, uh, fair enough. It's not a subgenre that I have any particular affection for. No, me neither. I think as I get older, like I tend to avoid them more and more. So I think. Yeah. The fact that I was like, ooh, Hills of Eyes remake as a kid was like, probably, like, as a teenager, was probably indicative of like, I probably hadn't seen a lot of these yet and hadn't got kind of completely. Yes, yeah. Because once you've seen one, it's kind of like, okay, I've ticked that box. I don't need any more. It's just going to be some people in a car and then, yeah. Is that going to be some women being threatened and, yeah, by it? Oh, yeah. Drilling cannibal and everything. (laughs) I feel like we're rattling through these really fast, but. I don't know. Um, I don't know what else there is to say. There doesn't seem to be a lot to unpack because, like, like we said, the symbolism just feels a bit empty and and yeah, incoherent. Yeah, I mean, like, it's the, you can tell like the the desert heat feels like effective. Like they shot it in Morocco, I think. But um, and it, some of it looks quite nice. Yeah, I think I think like this good cast like uh, Aaron Stanford and Dan Bird and Emily De Riven and um, Vanessa Shaw Evans, and Kathleen Quinlan as the mum. Billy Draco <laughs> is one of the like mutants. Like, I never realised that. That's like how weird. <laughs> I do like the fact that Alexander Arjo was offered um, the Messengers by Sam Raimi at the same time, and he had to make the choice between working with Sam Raimi or working with Wes Craven. <laughs> the reviews were pretty decent, though. So, so for the Hills Have Eyes, yeah, I think they're quite mixed. By just having a look, and I think. I think there were some obviously some bad reviews, but I think the ones that were good were, you know, although there were quite a lot of this definitely is for everyone, but if this is what you like, then you'll probably like this kind of thing. Mm, yeah, it feels um, like a fairly, I guess, workman-like uh, remake. And I suppose if Wes Craven was, was like that involved, then that makes sense. It's just, it's not going to reinvent the wheels. It's just going to... Be like a more expensive version of... Yeah, kind of yeah. I mean, the, uh, the scenery looks nice. That's about <laughs> as far as I can I can go. Yeah. Um, which brings us to another remake, uh, which is 2008's Mirrors, which is, uh, I think it's a Korean thriller yeah. called Into the Mirror. And 
I also have a distant memory that it's not actually anything like the original and it is just instead um, just some some madness about mirrors. Yes, so basically we have Kiefer Sutherland as a very grumpy uh, police detective who's been like put on suspension for doing something bad uh, and he goes to work as a security guard and finds that there are some haunted mirrors and then soon basically anything reflective is um, <laughs> popping out evil reflections of people who kill them. it's just so stupid all of these films are so stupid um i think most of my notes for this one just say like why is it so ugly Mm. it's a good question (laughs) i think especially because it starts with like that lovely like yeah kind of like burnt out huge shopping center you kind of promised something incredibly beautiful like oh this was like the flagship uh designer store back in like the 30s or 40s in new york and then you never really see any of it like the it's one of those ones where like uh, the camera pans up as they're walking towards it it's like is that an, i think like, it's an illustration this feels like a drawing of a building and then you kind of see the entryway which looks quite nice some big mirrors but then there's a lot of just basement stuff it's a complete waste of a location. Well, I'm sure there wasn't actually a location, but they don't do anything with the fact that quite a lot of it's set in the shopping centre, and then, like a lot of it's not really set there anyway. Uh, yeah, because it it would be more interesting to make it more about the location rather than just watch out for the water that can reflect you. Yeah, the, water can reflect images, or like water can reflect. Yeah, wow. Uh, <laughs> but I think like I. It, sometimes it almost wanted to have that kind of like like house on haunted hill remake vibe where you thought it was going to go into that yeah here's a big elaborate building Mm. um and here's some like cgi spookiness but it doesn't really do that properly it's a weird it's a weird blend of stuff and i hadn't seen the the original until quite recently and i was it's it's a bit better than this but it is very silly it's the original movie set in a essentially a cursed department store that is reopening. It's like a grand opening or something. Right. Uh, but the essential kind of curse is the same, where there's something in the mirrors, like a demon in the mirrors, um, that is basically what happens is your reflection kills itself, and then you do the same thing. And it's got a very good opening, I think, the original movie, but then there's, there's he's still, the main character is still this kind of haunted ex-cop who's now a security guard. But there's way, way more silly plot stuff about you know, like the bureaucracy of like the store must reopen. There's too much money to have. Like, no, but people keep killing themselves in here. It's like, no. <laughs> You're going to get sued. Yeah. It's, it's not going to be worth it. Whereas in this, mm. it's like Kiefer Sutherland furiously chasing down this mystery about Essica mm. and finding out what's going on with these mirrors and getting more and more angry each scene. And because the original is quite silly, the remake never manages to shake the fact that it's silly, but wants to. So Kiefer mm. Sutherland's giving it. 110% with like the shouting and the threatening people and barreling around <laughs> but at, it's also about he, he has to say things like, yeah like the, the water can reflect stuff and like like these goddamn mirrors are everywhere now like <laughs> <laughs> everywhere I go it's well, fucking mirrors a fucking incredibly awful scene where he's driving and it zooms in on the sticker that says objects in the mirror may be closer than they appear and I just wanted to cry. I was just like, please make this film stop. Oh, it's so dumb. It's so, so dumb. And then that weird bit with... Um, is it Amy Smart, who's his sister, who gets her face pulled apart? Yes. 
Yeah. Uh, that kind of comes out of nowhere because no one else like has a really weird elaborate face pulling apart death. No, no one does. It's like we need we need like one big moment and that's kind of it. It is like, you know, it's a horrible death. Like it's a good effect. It, it's not a good effect. No, it's not a good effect. I don't know why I said that. So I got distracted by the cat sitting it's, up. Um, <laughs> don't they do that in, in uh, Dead Silence, kind of, the mouth ripping thing, but at least there it's sort of thematically relevant, whereas here it's like, what? <laughs> why did that just happen? Yeah. I feel like there's a lot of like bathroom scenes in horror movies that are quite scary like thinking like final destination with the water creeping everywhere and the, mm. the shower cable like going around your neck and stuff and this just doesn't have any i don't i suppose it has an idea that it has a face ripped up but like it just they're not good ideas no <laughs> just as bad ones and i think because it has to be like the the curse has to be fairly inconsistent because if if it was just every time you saw a reflective surface you die, then it would be over very quickly. So it <laughs> has to last. kind of Yeah, has, has to kind of play it out a bit. So Keith Sutherland himself is never really in danger and then there's lots of stuff where his kids talking to the mirror and yeah, a lot of him driving about looking for the answers to this riddle that end up with a nun and apparently the whole ending was reshot. I was reading that um it was supposed to be a lot less kind of Keith Sutherland being up a demon but um that's where it went <laughs> it is a failure of a film like it's not it's not really a huge amount nice to say about it no it's really green and it feels really just late to the party for being a an asian horror remake it just feels like oh we're just really sort of scraping the barrel now for anything yeah i mean this definitely was towards the end of it um end of the run i think this was around the time like the eye was being remade and maybe like one missed call but it was the yeah the days of the ring and the grudge were quite long gone now <laughs> just like again this is kind of fun where i think it's more interesting in it's an interesting point in alexandra's career where he's trying something different like he wants to, like mm. an asian horror remake would be interesting to try and so he kind of has to try something different stylistically, but it's not good. This um, it's never never creepy, never scary, no. always stupid. Which is very silly because mirrors are creepy. Like there have been any number of horror movies and urban legends about yeah. mirrors, and and there's something. This it's very easy to make a reflection being subtly wrong feel very creepy. Mm. Um, but that isn't what this does. I do think part of it, part of why it doesn't work is Keith Sutherland, because he's so overly committed. So he's, you know, when it's like the kind of the full body breakdown when his sister dies, and he has that, he has that like mirror scare where half his face is kind of, uh, that won't work on the podcast, but just got to picture it. Um, <laughs> and yeah, but like has like the kind of like, oh, oh God, re- reaction to it. But because he's, you know, full shouting for most of the film, yeah, there's no... It never gets to be creepy or weird because he's never at that level. If there was like a creepy or like a Wes Bentley mm. or something, I guess like someone. Yeah, who... it needs somebody a bit yeah, weirder, definitely. doesn't it? Like Kiefer Sutherland is just going to go and punch things. Yeah. Or like maybe like Kiefer Sutherland from the distant past, but 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 this era, Kiefer Sutherland is just completely not the right not the right yeah, guy. He's twenty four. I feel like. Definitely. Yeah, I feel like Wes Bentley would have committed completely, but in a weirder way. I, I, I keep thinking of um, of like the Bye Bye Man every time <laughs> you talk about him, be because that's a similar thing where it it, it jars tonally because 
um, yeah, Douglas Smith in that goes full on terrified, like breaking down, crying in terror, and the film is just busy like being silly <laughs> around him. So it just feels really wrong. Um, I kind of think that's sort of what's happening here, in that like he's given it all in a performance, but it's just not the performance that the film yes, needed. Yeah, I agree. Um, um, could it have been saved with someone else maybe I guess maybe but then you would still want to um, stop the green filters on everything yeah. and give Amy Smart a, diff- Smart a different death scene that didn't involve so much hideous CGI yeah and it's a lot of running around in kind of flooded kind of basement corridors and because it is again like this is two hours like it's way too long just too long yeah what is going on there and like I keep I when you were saying it, I was like, yeah, I really want to watch a, a horror movie set in, like, a haunted department store or yeah. something. And then I was like, well, but In Fabric exists and also Slacks exists. Yeah. Oh, so it can have either end of that, like, um, sort of arty to very silly um, spectrum covered. So maybe I don't need this to be one because I've, I've got that box ticked. Yeah, and that, that I think, takes us to the end of... of Aja in the 2000s um, he wrote some stuff, he wrote P2 speaking of Wes okay. Bentley um, <laughs> and also Maniac, both directed by our our buddy who definitely exists, Frank Calhoun um, <laughs> and those I would say are both significantly better films than any of the three we've just talked about <laughs> yeah, having a think about it <laughs> yeah I think Maniac, yeah, I would agree. It's probably P two. Yeah, it's P two is arguably not no. good, but I think it's more watchable than any of these. <laughs> yeah, I do. Yeah, it's toughy. I wouldn't. I would. You know, I would. I, I. wouldn't kind of mount a very strong argument. And say no, 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 no. But I also, you know, you're also like eh. P two has the benefit of Wes Bentley hot off of doing Ghost Rider with Nicolas Cage just doing an Elvis impression for the entire film uh, and trying very hard to feed a woman Christmas dinner when she doesn't want it (laughs) it's It's definitely it's a film that someone made about a car park what what do you want yeah (laughs) and yeah like you said it's a film where Wes Bentley has definitely just worked with Nicolas Cage (laughs) and just like like, oh, he's... Yeah, I'm going to do that. And he sings Blue Christmas. It's wonderful. Um, <laughs> one for the Christmas horror film pile. Um, and then I've never got through Piranha 3D. I, I could not... I, it could not be done. Yeah, I think you did a poll on Twitter about whether Aja's 2000s films were like better than the rest of his career, whether he got better. Was there a definitive answer in the end? The the winner was that he seems to be generally pretty consistent. Um, and then there were a couple of tweets going like, ah, but, you know, consistently bad. And I think a couple of people still really love Switchblade Romance. Like, we've got a couple of replies on that. Or oh, High Tension. Those people. But I... I don't understand them. I think he gets more interesting as he gets older. I do have a lot of time for Alex Aja, mostly because of his work after the noughties. Um, really? For, for what? I don't know. He just gets more interesting. I think, I think like, because he, you can see, like, he wants to keep trying different things. So he kind of wants to work mm. with Wes Craven, to the Tales of Eyes, and then does, you know, uh, Asian horror remake, and then Piranha. Just sort of, I think, probably partly because needs some kind of needs a big hit after Mirrors, but also like he just fully goes for it. 
Um, like there's no, he makes Piranha 3D the most Piranha 3D movie it could possibly be. And and then after that, he kind of he he kind of keeps twisting a bit. Like he goes, uh, like Horns is like a weird movie. Like it's based on a Joe Hill book, and he he kind of he shows that he can make a really beautiful looking film. I think the film is flawed, but I appreciate the fact that he's after making Piranha 3D. He tries for something a bit more interesting and a bit artier and a bit more like complex and then i'm trying to think of like what's what did he do after horns he, there's uh the ninth life of louis drax which is oh i forgot about completely that completely yeah. baffling like ninth of louis drax is a film that i can't imagine you know it's essentially like kind of like an erotic thriller and then there's like a children's fantasy like game of toro style and they're basically half and half and it's such a weird film but like no one makes that film thinking it's going to be, like, a hit, I don't think. Um, <laughs> no, very, very odd, very odd And thing. then I love Cruel. Cruel's fantastic. Uh, right. You said that the other day, and I was like, it's on Netflix or some some service, maybe it's, I don't know. Um, so I was like, I'm going to watch Cruel before the podcast. And I watched it, and it was not good. Oh, you didn't like Cruel? And I want you to defend Cruel, because... Oh. What is good about Crawl? It's, 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 I like it. Like, Gator's in a house. <laughs> Gator's in a house, like a flooded house. Like, it's, it's really fun. There's good jump scares. Like, there's people getting chunked. I mean, it's no bait 3D, is it? I... I know that's sharks, but... I think I prefer the bait 3D. I have a lot of love for bait 3D. I think the, the deaths in Crawl are more fun, though. Like, the people rubbing the door, we get like... Wham. I do like people getting chomped, but I'm going to stick a pin in that thought for about oh, yeah, 20 minutes' time. Yes. <laughs> um, I don't know. I, I've really... Like, Crawl, I've seen it a few times now, and I like it a little more each time. It just... It, it does... It just knows what it's doing. And Oxygen, I really enjoyed as well. I think what I like about Alex Archer, I think... I, I don't know whether his naughty, his post naughty films are necessarily better than his naughty ones, but I think you can see like he wants to keep moving, keeps trying new things, and he also, with a couple of exceptions like Mirrors, he understands the assignment and does the most that thing. Like, <laughs> Hills of Eyes is horrible, but it's you know he understands completely what he's doing and goes for it. Yeah, it's very intentional. Three D is ridiculous and. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't seen it for a while, but like that's he knows exactly what he's doing with that film. Yeah, and then like makes films like Horns and like Dr. Drew Drax and like I can't see anyone else really in this black pack doing movies that sort of like, you know, that those films are only ever gonna make like a million to like to three million dollars. <laughs> like but yeah, Naughty's Alex Aja, like I still like meh. But then post I'm like, oh kind of interesting. No, no <laughs> I could quite happily never watch another film with his name attached in my life. Fair enough. Although now I'm curious to watch Oxygen, even though I know I'm not going to like it. Like evidence does not suggest that I will enjoy it. <laughs> I think if you really didn't get on with Crawl at all, then Oxygen's probably not. It's it's kind of got some similarities, and it? it's someone in an enclosed space, kind of a fight on a like a clock ticking scenario. Yeah, I think that isn't my jam generally. Like being in an enclosed space, uh, especially when there's just not very many people. Mm. Because then you know, although, like, there's always exceptions, like The Shallows, which is spectacular, but, like, yeah, you, you know that um, it's going to require kind of some cannon fodder to be shipped in and chomped up. Yeah. And there's, no, there's not very much suspense. <laughs> I'm glad that he at least let the dog survive. Yes. 
just a thought we'll come back to. <laughs> but um, while we're in our splat pack mopping up, let's get the really gross, horrible, nasty ones out of the way. That brings us to our final final director, which is Greg McLean and Wolf Creek. 2005 Wolf Creek. <sighs> this is a film that I had watched at the cinema, violently hated, never rewatched again. So this was a completely sort of... Uh, yeah, it was it was almost fresh. Like it's been like fifteen years. I haven't watched it. Um, still not a fan. <laughs> Spoilers. Like, I knew this episode was going to be the hardest because we really did leave all the ones we didn't fancy until last, and now it's just like, yeah, well, that's that. <laughs> I don't know. I still had a better time with these than the Rob Zombie one. <laughs> <laughs> that's fair. That is fair. Okay, so Wolf Creek. Uh, Wolf Creek follows three young people who are. Um, exploring, they're on, they're on holiday, they're backpacking around Australia. Um, they want to go to this place called Wolf Creek, which is a um, crater. I think it's where a former yeah. asteroid um, hit. And there's, you know, it's beautiful. It's in the middle of the Australian like outback, and also it has a reputation for making technology go screwy. And sure enough, when they get there, they're very very cheap shonky van that they bought <laughs> claps out um as do like their watches phones radios like any other use potentially useful piece of technology and they are approached by a really friendly helpful man who's just gonna help them be on their way <laughs> except obviously no except obviously he's a serial killer and um a pretty nasty one he's based on the real life killer whose name I don't know how to pronounce but Ivan Millet uh, who's the backpacker murderer and yeah he murders backpackers and that's what happens they really love their based on a true story um, tag as well don't they I mean it's, it's it's yeah is it based on a true story kind of kind of in the same way that basically every serial killer film is based on Jeffrey Dahmer or someone similar <laughs> but yeah but it's basically fiction <laughs> Yeah, and this film nearly put me off horror movies forever. Wow. <laughs> I really don't like it. It's really nasty. Um, yeah, how about you? I remember it coming out, and it was a really big deal. Like, everyone talked about Wolf Creek when it came out. I remember, I think, because it came out just before I started uni, maybe, or like the year before I started uni, and telling people I was into horror films, and people were like, oh, do you see Wolf Creek? Yeah. And I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, that's all right. Yeah, again, it's one of those ones where I remember thinking, pretty good, like, well-made, like, upsetting. And I think I bought it, I bought the DVD because I, I missed it coming out of cinema, so I just thought, oh, I'll just buy it. And that's why I own the DVD. And I haven't watched it, Yeah, I hadn't watched it before you watched the podcast since I think I first saw it. Um, it's not one that I've ever gone back to. And, yeah, watching again, yeah, I like it less now than I did then. I kind of think I can see why it struck a chord and you can see why it did well kind of in the context of when it came out and like you know the Outback's very you can make the Outback seem really scary and desolate and I remember being quite furious at the time I saw it the first time that um he does kind of use that natural setting to juxtapose kind of beauty of the wildlife with the horrors of what's happening and I just remember just getting really annoyed like you can't just film a fucking bird and then show me someone <laughs> getting murdered like no that's not okay 
I think I was a little bit kinder on rewatch on that kind of stuff. And I was like, yeah, okay, you know, you have made this look gorgeous. I want to really interrogate like my own brain and why it responds in the way it does to this film, because it should be that it's fairly similar to Hostel. Um, Mm. And Hostel, I still really like. And... I'm delighted by <laughs> in a really sick way but this film is just I don't have that and it does a similar thing of spending quite a long time with the three main characters um, before they get into their nasty situation with them you know chatting about who fancies who and going to parties and having fun and sleeping on the beach and doing all these nice things that they're like having a lovely time and like why does that feel different to me than, than like here I I know you can't ever read a sort of intentions, a filmmaker's intentions by the film, but like there's something about the way this film frames that that makes me feel like I'm supposed to dislike them. I mean, they're not the most likable people in the world, but like as if I'm supposed to want something bad to happen to them. I think you definitely get less of a sense of who these characters are than, you know, like as, as obnoxious as the characters in Hostel are, you really know who they are as people yeah. and you get the sense of the bond that they've got. And I think in Wolf Creek, it feels a lot more, well, we need to have characters. So the two girls are friends. One of them fancies the guy. The guy fancies the girl. Like, it's all... There's no real, um, like, complexity to any of it. And it does feel like that's kind of the point. Where they're mm. just like, you know, they are backpackers. They're, you know, they, they could be anyone. They could be you. But yeah, I think having them be so kind of normal yeah. <laughs> does mean that it just... And, and and knowing where the film's going to go with it as well, it just means that it, it feels... It's kind of like a two-edged, dual-edged thing where it's like, oh, yeah, like everyone, but then also, like, they could be, like, anyone. Like, there's not really any care given to them before they meet Mick. It, it doesn't feel like the film has any affection for them either, whereas... No, I agree, yeah. Hostels, arseholes, as much as they are arseholes, like, there is a bit of, like... It feels like... Um, yeah, like, those are people that Eli Roth, like, knows and is, I guess. <laughs> like, they feel real, like you say. They feel like real people, yeah. Mm. Whereas these guys are just... It feels more distant somehow. It's just like, oh, look at those young people, rather than, like, feeling like it's in there with them. Yeah, completely. Yeah, it is the the way the whole way it's shot and the way it feels... Like, Hostel feels like you're on a trip with them. And Wolf Creek feels like, yeah, like a documentary. Like, yeah, these are three backpackers. Look at them. Look what they do. Look at them, yeah. <laughs> Look at them, the fools. <laughs> but yeah, because oh, it's really hard to unpick why. Because obviously, like every horror movie where people go somewhere and end up in trouble and get got, like there's always signs along the way, like harbingers or whatever. But like that scene where um, I've forgotten what his name is, but the guy like goes to buy the, the truck and. Like you just you know you like you're looking at it going yeah that's a shitty truck like <laughs> it's gonna mm, break down yeah. but it's not it's as if it doesn't work in that sort of pleasurable way that you know things are mounting up and you're starting to feel spooked and then you get a big scare it just feels like a bit just sort of inevitably a bit grim a bit miserable I guess it's a bit like if you move into a haunted house and think little things start going wrong there's that like pleasantly shivery thing mm. whereas just buying a shitty car is like okay well that's gonna break down <laughs> it's very it's a sort of weirdly mundane kind of shittiness yeah, i guess it does feel like a lot of that's deliberate i guess to a point where you know that there's going to be the first half where 
they're going to go on their trip and introduce these characters and then something's going to go wrong and they're going to be stuck and they're going to need help from someone and that someone is going to be the person who murders them and that it's going to be and i think part of what you know makes rewatching it so unpleasant is that it is pretty much it's cleanly cut in half i think really isn't it it's like the first half where the build-up happens mm. and the second half is pretty much torture and murder i don't i don't like the sort of i think what's what you were saying about the sort of grim inevitability of it and the kind of feeling dirty and that gets explored you know there are australian based on a true story crime thrillers that do that really well and i think you know like say it's like snowtown or um what was that one that came out hounds of love like you know there are like ones that are pretty yeah. that a lot more purely this horrible thing happened and here's a film about it and wolf creek feels a lot more indebted to you know texas chainsaw massacre and yeah, it's not. I guess like what I'm saying is like it's not really the horror movie that I kind of want to go and watch. <laughs> not that I want, but I think actually um, you hit on something there. I think which is that it feels a much more um, yeah true crimey mm. than it does a horror movie. It has that that vibe of like this happened and he's out there like the fucking stupid final shot where he just yeah. fades into the landscape. <laughs> he's still out there. Um, <laughs> and yeah, I think that has actually explained it to me. And that like I don't enjoy crime or true crime stories particularly i don't like murder podcasts um and all that kind of stuff that a lot of people really get into i want a horror movie i just it's different it's it's i there's something about the experience of it and how you experience those stories that's actually quite different crime and horror are not the same thing and i think this yeah it has a has a lot of crime influence and that's probably what the difference is but like even I just yeah the way it treats its characters and that that strange scene um where one of the girls like kind of they're sort of mocking him a little bit and then mm. um then he like the Mick like leaves and they're like oh don't be mean to him and there's almost a thing where I'm like oh am I supposed to feel now that he's <laughs> like oh well if you'd just been polite to your elders <laughs> you wouldn't have got murdered yeah. like it's an odd odd kind of moralizing yeah, and the whole Mick character just feels like yeah, obviously like it's a subversion of the well, like, yeah, it's a yeah you know, the crocodile Dundee thing. And oh fucking hell, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> a flashback to last episode. But yes, yeah. stop doing that in horror movies where you just put in recognisable lines. I don't like it. Second half, like, is so unpleasant, and it is just a lot of torture. And yeah, yeah, just, it's not really for me. I think like you know, it kills the final girl, which I think I think it's Anton Vitel's like. I can't remember if it was a review or something I read about him that he'd written about a Greg McLean movie. It might have been his review of Rogue, actually, that I was looking at. Um, mm. But he was like, yeah, that's kind of, you know, it's an interesting thing, like, kills the final girl, and it's not the person you expect to get away. That's narratively unsatisfying, isn't it? That it's the boy who survives, mm. and yet we've spent the vast majority of the film with the two girls. Yeah. It's just a bit like, oh, this guy that we don't even know very well, and we haven't really been through that much with him. Yeah. <laughs> He's the one that's that's made it. It's a yeah. bit weird. I have such a horrible time. Like, they really, like, you know, like, it's one of those ones I'm watching at home that, you know, close all the windows and kind of turn the volume down a bit. Because, yeah. like, this is going to be half an hour to 45 minutes of screaming. Yeah. And yeah. it's, you know, oh, and he does, like, he's got catchphrases as well. Like, that's not a knife and, like, head on a stick and I like, lost a head. And, like, yeah, it's like, he's got jokes. Oh, God. Like, I hate that. I hate that. Um, I hate that. I hate the jokes. I hate it. Ah. <laughs> yeah. It's just, like, it's grimy. And I think. Okay, we're gonna move, I guess we're going to move, gonna move on to Rogue in just a second, but I, I think Wolf Creek, everything that he's done afterwards with Wolf Creek is more interesting and more fun than the original movie. You know, like, he he gets into the 
uh, like Australian culture and like people's view of Australia and like there's a lot more about bigotry and racism and misogyny in Australian culture in Wolf Creek 2 and in the TV series like he it seems like he arguably like it's the Wolf Creek's really been overexplored at this point he wrote two novels as well but I think there's a lot it both gets Wolf Creek 2 is a lot more, more splattery and it's like more fun in a conventional horror movie sense but there's a lot more kind of Australian weirdness like he gets into the culture stuff a lot more and I think that makes it more fun like, I, I get into those like I'd much rather rewatch Wolf Creek 2 than Wolf Creek 1 and the TV series treats it more like a, it play the the thriller element plays out better because it's it's structured differently, um, and you spend more time with the characters. And the original, again, I guess like in a bit of a similar way to, I don't know, high t- yeah, high tension. It it feels like he's you know this is how you make an impact. This is how you get people's attention is by making a film that's really hard to watch. <laughs> yeah. It seems a bit counterintuitive. It's nice <laughs> to make a film that like people wanted to watch. Um, Why couldn't you just make yeah, a nice I just, film that uh, people wanted to watch? <laughs> Could you just make a nice film like that hostel <laughs> and so? Um, yeah, <laughs> I, yeah, I, I have yeah not watched this since it came out, and I won't watch it again. I haven't watched any of the sequels or other stuff, so you know, I'll just. Uh, I'm quite happy to remain ignorant of the Wolf Creek ex- extended universe. <laughs> WCU. <laughs> Not for me, thank you. Um, yeah, I felt we have really, yeah, really are rattling through these. Okay, um, Rogue then. Rogue. So this is kind of interesting because, yeah, it's a creature feature. It's very different. <laughs> and and yeah, we've already talked a little bit about Crawl, so it feels weird. <laughs> but this this is before Crawl and is, I'm gonna say vastly superior. Um, <laughs> Whoa. So. <laughs> Uh, Rogue sees a bunch of tourists going on a sort of crocodile adventure tour out into the into this sort of very um, remote part of a, of a river uh, with an Australian tour guide showing them the crocs. But then the they see a flare go off and realise that someone is in distress, so they attempt to go to the rescue, only to get their boat chomped up by a massive. Uh, wait, alligator, mm-hmm. crocodile, crocodile. The alligators are in Florida. Yes, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> can't even keep them straight anymore. <laughs> yeah. Um, and yes, and so they are. They are marooned on a very small island as the tide is coming in, and so they have less and less space, and they need to figure out a way to try and survive until someone can come rescue them. But because they're off the track that they're supposed to be on nobody knows where they are it's all very tense very exciting (laughs) it has flaws i'm not going to say it's perfect but compared to wolf creek um i found this much more fun and easy and pleasant oh it's so much more fun yeah definitely it's a yeah it's a killer croc movie (laughs) it doesn't feel like the director of wolf creek is doing a killer croc movie in the way that you know like it's not like that's I mean it gets a bit meaner towards the end of the movie but like it is like a it wants to be a fun killer croc movie like it wants to be sort of like oh yeah big gory deaths and sort of big jumps and like it wants to be a bit silly with it which I think I really appreciate especially after watching Wolf Creek like I was like oh my god but also it's got some it's just got some really lovely bits so obviously like the the um landscape scenery is gorgeous and looks beautiful like he manages to film it in a really stunning way but also there's that amazing like 
just jolt of primal terror when you just see the spines moving through the water like it's, it's that scares me that I, I love that and and whenever the the croc comes out and chomps someone i'm just i'm just really happy yeah, <laughs> i just like that chompy croc <laughs> there's great bits as well is that there are some really satisfying like croc comes out of the water and chomps someone but there's also the bits that really get me are like the moments when they just turn around and someone's gone yeah um like someone was standing near the water and they're having a they're having an argument and then like the camera cuts back and that person's vanished um, yeah even hear it's it. got a bunch of those kind of uh, like deep blue sea moments almost <laughs> yeah. just a hump gone um <laughs> i do like i think that the actual characters and a lot of the relationships are deeply questionable in a way that i'm like oh yes this is the director of wolf creek so rada mitchell's playing this sort of very very capable crocodile tour guide lady who's got a dog and a boat and she knows everything and she knows the the area and she's supremely competent and she can do everything but then like some guy that she dated once rocks up on a speedboat and is rude to her and she has to like have multiple rubbish tourists step in to defend her and i was like the fuck is this and like the fact that the hero ultimately becomes this like american travel journalist played by yeah, like a, like a like, compl- what a is that tourist. about yeah travel it's journalist. really weird yeah. like it, there's that scene at the beginning of the film where he goes into a bar and like there are just lots of very like stereotypically horrible um i guess like sort of the australian equivalent of a redneck mm. like they're all just like spitting and being abusive and horrible and they have loads of pictures of like dead animals on the walls and stuff and missing children and missing people and it's all just repulsive and horrible um and he's sort of very clean and shiny and um you know he's on his mobile phone which somehow even in 2007 using a mobile phone was a sign that you're a dickhead (laughs) that's something that's dated strangely um and then he's he's the hero he's our action hero Mm. like why is rada mitchell not the action hero in this film it's weird. It is a really weird choice. Yeah, there's a really narrow explanation for it, apart from maybe like Americans like wanted to see Michael Vartan. But, but yeah, Australian. It's an Australian director. Like you would think he would take the opportunity to. I don't know. It was to, paid for by the Weinstein Austra- Company, I think. Maybe that's why. <sighs> maybe that's why. But I just I just find it really annoying. And there's a bit um, where it, there's even a bit where like in the middle of the survival situation she has a little cry and he has to comfort her and I'm like are you fucking kidding me like this is just shit just but on the other hand like I do like stuff like um, it has an almost uh, it's almost like the descent that bit where they kind of rig up a rope across the the water and they have to kind of try and um, like try and like shimmy across this rope um and it's another thing where it's like oh this is really scary and it definitely relies on physical abilities that i don't have and also the character most of the characters didn't have Mm. because it all goes horribly wrong but then also like even the really strong and competent seeming ones tend to get chomped up in this film but uh so scary so tense and so scary and like yeah the, the 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 there's like a woman who gets halfway across and then just freezes mm. in like terror and can't move and everyone's yelling at her 
and I think you're probably supposed to be like a oh, stupid bitch but I just it's so like I'm like yeah that that would be me but then that awful <laughs> dad like, gets his entire family yes. to come across and like he's definitely worse than she is because he's yes. completely or, like he's they're the ones yeah they're the ones that ultimately fuck it up for everyone mm. because they're saying the rope won't hold you and he's like oh, I must get on there and then there. he does and get very satisfying you're like <laughs> so I really many love good the, chumps um, yeah, it's a young or like a pre-fame Sam Worthington who plays like her Radha Mitchell's like shitty ex who pitches up at the right time and might and seems like he knows what he's doing and like might just redeem himself by getting them out of there and then yeah, yeah. gets such a chomp. good chomp. He just drops the torch and then like it's right there and just looks. And like, oh, that's a great <laughs> chomp. Love a good chomp. Why is that? Why is a chomp so satisfying? <laughs> I think it's you know it's the big teeth, it's the noise, it's all of it. Like if it's a shark or a crocodile or an alligator or just like I guess a big monster, it is it's that primal thing again, isn't it? It's it's yeah, the idea yeah, of definitely. to quote goddamn fucking crawl, <laughs> the idea <laughs> of the apex predator, like the fact that we're suddenly not the ones that are the, like the biggest scariest thing around. There's this other thing that can just come and eat you, and you basically there are fuck all you can do to stop it at one point they described the crocodile as um a steam train with teeth and like yeah yeah it's just <laughs> there's just like literally nothing you're going to be able to do about it yeah i think all of the stuff like the basically the first half the first hour or so i think is brilliant and like much stronger than i remembered it actually yeah yeah and like the, the the croc is really well done and there's like you know when it attacks the boat it's genuinely like an oh shit moment yeah, all that stuff, like all the way, I think up to like the rigging the rope bit, I think after that it starts to just weirdly get a bit boring. I don't know. Yes. Yeah. It slows right down somehow. I don't really understand how particularly, but it just kind of, it just feels like it really takes its foot off the gas a bit. I feel like I want, like, yeah, I want all of these movies to just keep going full pelt because. You know, I really liked the idea of, you know, not only are you in an inhospitable place where there's a predator, but, like, night's coming and the tide is also coming in. So you just have all these ticking clocks and you're just in this terrifying situation where you just think, you, I just never want the adrenaline level mm. to go down. Like, just make it shorter and um, snappier. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, like, yeah, I agree. I do agree that it does get a bit boring. Also, like, yeah, towards the end, it just lost me when it just kept making, um, is it Kate, Rada yeah. Mitchell's character, just, just, just so useless yeah. and helpless. And it was like, no, no. Uh, and then the dog gets chomped mm -hmm. as well. That's sad. I thought they were going to make her sacrifice her dog. There's a bit where they're all trying to persuade her that um, she should use her dog as bait for the crocodile while the rest of them escape. And she just refuses. And I'm like, <laughs> good. No, mean. Um, but dog gets chomped anyway, which is very rude. It's very rude. <laughs> and then yeah, I think it's the end where like uh, they they reference the fact early on, like oh, like he'll take his prey back to his little cave or whatever it is. So obviously Michael Vartan's got to go and rescue the unconscious Kate from the cave. But he just fucking falls in the hole, though, doesn't yeah, he? Yeah, he does. And then there's a lot of you know inching around a wall, and that's I think where the croc starts to look a bit shit because you see too much of it and. I do like the bit where he gets his hand bitten off. Like, that is a really... Yes. He's trying to hold it off with a big stick and the crocs, like, chomps his hand and it's a really good, like, oh, no. Yeah. Good, good shock moment. But then it does just run out of steam and... You mentioned the shallows earlier. Like, that's such a good example of a creature feature that doesn't 
that's how you do it that is that should be the template that is how you fucking do it but th- this yeah as soon as they make Michael Barton the hero um, and like not Kate unconscious it's just like no you've lost it you've done it you- this guy's a fucking idiot he just fell into the crocodile's like larder you're what yeah. no he's not an action hero he's yeah it's not really like even like it's not an interesting subversion because Kate is the only interesting character like Kate's got a backstory a bit and Rodder Mitchell's just always brilliant uh, but none of the other characters are really, like, they're all just dicks, basically. They're all panicking, obviously, so it's kind of fair enough. But everyone's just panicking unhelpfully. Like, John Jarrett is from Wolf Creek is, like, an unhelpful middle-aged guy. Mia Vazikoska's in it as a kid. Like, that's like, oh, yeah. Yes! I was very shocked when I saw her. I was like, wow. Um, yeah, there's a, there's a bit where they're all moaning about, oh, if we go and try and rescue these people, we're going to be late for our bus that we've scheduled to get on. And it was like... Who goes on a fucking crocodile tour with no confirmed like end time, like right before you have yeah, to get on a bus? Schedule, like that's yeah, a bad way. That's yeah. a bad way to schedule your your holiday. <laughs> you've, you've done bad work. It's bad um, touristing. <laughs> yeah, you should have done this ages ago. And I kept thinking of like Hatchet and then being like, oh god, we're gonna have to do that at some point. Um, but yeah, I think. I'm going to say of all these ones on this episode that Rogue was still my favourite, even though it made me furious in the second half with its rampant misogyny and bad storytelling. But I, I just, I just like, will forgive it for that first like half, like the first few times you start seeing the crocodile coming for you, just the ripples, yeah, in, ripples the water, in the water and then just suddenly teeth. Like, that's what I want. That's lovely. Yeah. And like the bit where, um, <laughs> Like Sam Worthington and his dickhead friend, like when their boat gets like just knocked up in the air and flipped, is such a yeah, because yeah. they're just being complete assholes, aren't they? Like, oh, are you in trouble? Oh, do you need our help? And then suddenly the boat goes. Yeah. <laughs> Which is quite. I mean, the, I think maybe the fact that I had quite enjoyed Rogue and then I watched Crawl relatively soon afterwards is probably why I didn't enjoy Crawl as much because. You know, that's the exact same thing that happens. It's like the robbers show up and then they get chomped up. And also the other thing that I found like sort of funny is that um, Rogue ends with never smile at a crocodile over the end credits, <laughs> which is just like lovely and just makes you laugh. Like, okay, I forgive you. That's a funny joke. And then Crawl, <laughs> they put see you later alligator over the end credits. And I'm like, that's the same <laughs> joke. <laughs> that's not you. <laughs> what are you doing? You're like 10 years, 12 years later. <laughs> you're just doing the same thing. No, I do love Crawl. A little bit more each time. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we should just have a day of chompy, chompy monsters. Chompy monster, day. Chompy monster film festival. Because this came out around the same time as, um, is it Blackwater? The other Australian... Oh, yeah, which is extremely boring. Uh, yeah, I I think it is more boring. I, I, get, I think it is a lot more tense. But it does that thing which I get quite bored by creature features where no one's I think I described it as like randos for the chomping and like there's not any of it yes there's none Uh, no there's there's like three people isn't there I seem to remember there's like this is there like a shit guy and he gets it first and then oh maybe pointed in the wrong direction I can't remember (laughs) I I, I saw that at Fright Fest in like 2007 or 8 um because it was programmed with Black Sheep, which is delightful fun. But, um, I remember not really getting on with Black Sheep. Um, oh, I, I find that one. I find that one fun. It is. It is a yeah horror comedy, I guess. Um, and then the energy level went right down for Blackwater. Just like oh. I think Blackwater has like a much better reputation than Rogue, though. 
I don't know whether it's really like deserved or not, but I remember black water gets taken a lot more seriously because it is one of those like open water where it's you know these people are stranded. Oh god, and, yeah. Yeah, Boring. I mean I don't. I, I kind of full respect for making a realistic animal attack movie, but I wouldn't. Yeah, I want the jumping. That's what I. I don't want, want that. I want the shallows. Like I don't even need to. I feel like I don't even need to explain, like, here's what you should do. Like, The Shallows <laughs> exists as a perfect, perfect, <laughs> like, template. Just do that. Just do that with, with different animals and with Golden. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Rogue did make very little money. I think that's kind of why Greg oh. Payne didn't do very much after for a little bit. Well, good. If he had just made Rada Mitchell the hero, and also if there hadn't been any, like, fucking sort of romance between them, like, get out. Yeah. yeah. Just fuck off. She should be like an amazing kick-ass lesbian and that should be it. And she should like fight the crocodile by herself and win. <laughs> which is what... Well, she's, yeah, sort of what happens in the shallows, which is that she fights the shark and wins. She does. <laughs> See, the answer to everything is the shallows. Um, but that's not a Splatterpack film. Or indeed a 2000s film. It is great though. <laughs> <laughs> it is directed by, isn't it? It's Helmo Colazzaro, isn't it? Who did yes. Parks and Orphan, which both count as. Um, yes. Okay. So maybe we should have. We should have um, created like an honorary, not a splat pack, but like a, a new a new title. I have to think about that. Should we talk about Greg McLean like after the Naughties at all? Or? Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> he just stopped existing, didn't he? <laughs> what did he do? Lots of he Wolf Creek. Lots of Wolf Creek. I think after Rogue didn't do very well. I think he was always going to do a Wolf Creek two because of how well it did. But it took him a while. Like Wolf Creek two, I think was delayed an awful lot and didn't come out till two thousand thirteen, I think, and was quite well received. Most people, like you know, fine. But I think Australia, it was. The reviews in Australia were really vicious, I think, because they just wanted him to stop making Wolf Creek movies. <laughs> Australian tourist board were like, stop can you fucking stop? <laughs> um, and, yeah, he did uh, The Bilko Experiment, which was written by James Gunn. Oh, yeah, fuck, I forgot about that. Yeah, he's done all of that. He did, like, a, a film... Oh, I've completely blanked on what it's called. Uh, Daniel Radcliffe in a Jungle. Daniel Radcliffe loves working with random splat packers on films that five people have seen he loves a jungle <laughs> oh wow I am not one of those five people it turns out <laughs> but yeah he's, he did The Darkness which was a Blumhouse movie that didn't get very good reviews um, oh that shit I don't, I don't think I even realised that was him fucking hell yeah. I, I clearly have like a mental block <laughs> I'm just no, not interested take your Wolf Creek and go basically yeah he's covered, I think he's doing some TV in America at the moment and they're doing more Wolf Creek I think it does seem like I think of all the backpackers that we've done Greg McLean's the one who's, you know, whether he, it was always the intention or not, hasn't, will never kind of be, get away from Wolf Creek. No. No matter what he does, like, it seems like that will always be like a safe thing for him to do. Like, oh, I can always just go and do a Wolf Creek three or four or... God, that's depressing. But, because I think I would, and and actually that's that's what I'm going to ask us to do in a minute is to rank these directors <laughs> in order of preference. I think I would put him slightly above Aja just because at least his films are sort of nice to look at. Whereas, you know, I I would take something. I would obviously take Rogue over Mirrors at any day <laughs> of the week. Just oh, yeah. yeah, but yeah. Um, God, stuck in Wolf Creek forever. Hmm. Hoist on his own petard. He. Like the head on a stick, cannot move. 
<laughs> it's like a curse. He cursed himself. <laughs> um, to never leave Wolf Creek. Oh, uh, sorry, I've been watching too much Fear Street. It's sunstroke and fear street that's what i blame um yeah let's 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 do a ranking an official ranking okay <laughs> right now <laughs> uh i think we're gonna put james wan at the top yeah unless we'd like to argue with that <laughs> no i think james wan it feels like it i mean we haven't done the full james wan episode but no. I mean, that's partly because he, he never will. really felt felt like a splatpacker like he did his one and then he was out um yeah that's fair so I think he is, but he, but he, he is classed as one, yes. and I guess we should put Lee One L in there as well because I would have maybe argued about putting him lower, but the Invisible Man is incredible, so I feel like he can, he can. Yeah, and I love Upgrade. Sit at the great. top. Yeah, Upgrade is amazing, and then I'm, I feel like actually it's harder to do the bottom. Like, do we put is Rob Zombie at the bottom? I think maybe like for my personal preference, definitely. Yeah, hundred percent. I think Lords of Salem is more watchable, but then I guess that's not... Oh, I guess if we just assume that Splatpack is a label for life, uh, <laughs> then, yeah. But, I, yeah, I think there's a sort of McLean, Aja, zombie uh, thing at the bottom that's just... And then Eli Roth in the middle, that's probably... Yeah, like, I think I'd I put... I'd, I'd, my Aja rating would be higher than yours, definitely. Um, yeah. He's not... I think there's James one at the top, and like, if we're just looking at Naughties, maybe it's Neil Marshall's. Like, yeah, oh Neil, Ma- yeah, that's true. Neil, Ma- if, actually, yeah, if we only do Naughties, does that put? <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm internal debate that was only semi-externalized. Um, yeah, Neil Marshall for the Descent would probably zoom to the top. Mm. Elo Roth kind of in the middle, kind of works, I think, because maybe he was arguably like the cleanest memory of the problems <laughs> yeah. and the pros of the splatback era he represents the more problematic and more dated elements of the mo- of that era but also what still works about them I mm, think. yeah it's it is interesting because this whole movement kind of comes as a response to like 9-11 and the iraq war and all of that like very difficult time for everyone and, and i feel like there's been a lot of talk recently about you know reclaiming I guess, you know, we're sort of 20 years on from it now, so we're, we're looking back and the noughties fashions are coming back through, but people are looking at the treatment of Britney Spears or Paris Hilton or whoever it might be in, mm. in like, tabloids and being like, God, like, w- it was a much more cruel time. And I think that... I mean, just to be very simplistic, yeah, these these movies all feel a lot more cruel a bit yeah. and, and meaner and also significantly more misogynist on the whole um, than horror now. So, like, in a very sort of very uh, easy, sort of simple, straightforward way, we're like, yeah, that feels like the noughties. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And just kind of like how expected it was. Like, yeah, I think that's one of the things about watching them, a lot of them back to back is just like, oh, yeah, of course, this is what happens to women in these movies. <laughs> it's weird because it simultaneously feels like super recent and also uh, like the distant past. Mm. Yeah, it is, it is weird that this is like kind of where we grew up what we grew up with and how actually quickly times change. Mm. I didn't have the nostalgia element for as many of them as I thought I was going to. Mm. Like Switchblade Romance, High Tension, like I, I already knew that was going to be a, like, ooh, this isn't going to be a great rewatch. 
And it was really only, I think, Dog Soldiers and The Descent. I was like, I'm very confident these are still going to be good because I watch them fairly regularly. I was worried that I'd be, yeah, more disappointed than I was. I think the ones that I knew I was going to have a hard time with, I did. I think that's kind of, uh, from a personal perspective, quite a nice thing in that, like, I'm like, oh, actually, um, as much as I feel like I've, grown and changed and matured as a person my opinion on most of these films is still pretty much what it was (laughs) so I'm like oh good I was right (laughs) Uh, which is nice but yes no more splat pack no more torture porn Um, I was going to say that we should talk more about torture porn but I think we have already talked about this before just that yeah it's it's just just I, I still keep kind of having cognitive dissonance over that mm. label about how easily I can just go, yeah, yeah, that's torture porn. Yeah. Um, even though those actual words sound really jarring and horrible if you actually think about them. I think I was also thinking about that just because uh, we are recording on the 18th of July and tomorrow in the UK has, well, tomorrow in England has been dubbed Freedom Day, uh, which is another one of those things where it's like, I can see how it's a convenient shorthand to say that rather than saying... Oh, on July 19th, when all the government restrictions are dropped, it's a lot easier to just go, oh yeah, after Freedom Day. But I think, yeah, it's just interesting to look at how uh, you can kind of package up some propaganda into that shorthand and you just adopt it and don't think about it. It's weird. Mm. (laughs) It's funny with the, yeah, we talked to porn. I think, I I remember, yeah, definitely resenting the label when I was a teenager and feeling like it was definitely being applied by people who didn't know what they were talking about or people who didn't, who just didn't like the things that I liked and it was mean. And then I think like we talked about in our intro episode, I think you were saying that it becomes like a punk or that sort of, you just adopt it as thinking, oh yeah, like it was that kind of era. But then watching those films and, you know, I think the ones that we covered aren't, you know, I think they're the ones that are most commonly thought of as being part of that movement, but they're also, I think, not the worst in terms of the amount of violence that you see on screen or the amount of cruelty that you get. I think you know, some of them are up there, but I think there are definitely uglier films from that era. Um, so as it was a kind of, but even even then, thinking like, oh god, this is pretty rough actually, and this was really unpleasant for you know a film that made tons of money i think this, i keep saying this with this black pack movies like these are pop these were popular films these made you know close to 100 million dollars some of them which is nuts like you know horror movies now don't you know like quiet place or something would do that um it um conjuring like you know it's the ones that are like cozy scares like there are like clearly established rules and you're pretty confident it's going to work out <laughs> Um, <laughs> yeah conjuring verse no one fucking dies yeah, yeah yeah no one fucking dies in the country movies and the idea that these movies were so violent and pessimistic and kind of unforgiving in their you know this is what happens if you go to a hostel or this is what happens if you go to the outback like it's yeah it's, it's still like it blows my mind and i feel like i'm probably boring people now by saying like and this movie made loads of money what the hell um, <laughs> well, it's not about yeah, but it's not about like box you know it just, it's just a reflection of how widely seen they yeah. were which is crazy and like, I think that's where like, a, a lot of my nostalgia for it comes from is that you know horror movies were kind of 
big you know events that people went to see like at cinema like consistently and i think it is yeah obviously now it's coming back that way i think we're definitely seeing a lot more of it well, it's a pre-netflix age as well which kind of changed the landscape um and probably also explains why movies make less money but yeah yeah it's it's it is it is weird yeah like <laughs> just having that kind of like uh like vertigo but for time temporal vertigo there must be a word for that but yeah um just very odd just very odd i think uh in conclusion watch the descent (laughs) some movies are still great i think hostel's still great and everything else you can pretty much uh just leave in the past yeah, I think yeah. If you if you kind of like that sort of thing, then I think some of them are still good. Like for the, for what they are, I think there's very there aren't very many that I would recommend for people who didn't like, you know, like really grim, hard to watch movies. I think yeah, with the exception of like Dog Soldiers and The Descent, um, maybe Cabin Fever. Um, <laughs> Cabin Fever has to come with a very strong. This was a different time warning. Yes. Like, the, yeah. like, uh, is it Disney Plus where they have those like warnings on them? That that's yeah. what that needs. That's what Cabin Fever needs. The horror <laughs> equivalent. Like Shudder have, should have to put <laughs> this movie reflects certain attitudes that were <laughs> of their time, a crueler time. Uh, so, once the splat pack and torture porn are over. Uh, I think we're doing fan footage next, aren't we? Yeah, going into yeah. fan footage. I'm really excited about this, and I know what's going to happen is I'm going to come crashing back down to earth after my uh, <laughs> second or third paranormal activity movie. <laughs> <laughs> but right now, I'm feeling very excited to watch some spooky things and shaky cameras. Yeah, that is, it's something completely different from what we've been watching, isn't it? So I'm, I'm pretty excited. <laughs> So, yes, um, please do come back next time. Uh, in the meantime, you can follow us on Twitter at ChillennialHPod or at Jonathan Hatful and at Sarah Dobbs. Um, we do polls and stuff. It's fun. And, yeah, and also, if you would like to leave us a review on iTunes or anywhere, that would be really, really nice. As long as it's a nice review, but, yeah. <laughs> um, thanks so much, and, yeah, we'll, we'll catch you next time. Thanks, bye.